Oh. Hi, welcome to season eight. This is about um, creating and clarifying categories. We've had a lot, especially in this, this world of chaos and change. Um, some of our more savvy uh, clients have said, wait a minute, there's opportunities here. And so how do we really shape our markets differently? Which got us thinking about where we've seen really excellent um, practices and where we've seen really bad practices. So we, we wanna share those with you. I'm Mary Avazia and with me is uh, Tom Spitali, Sean Wellen, and we have Rascal joining us as a guest appearance today, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure he'll be contributing much, but he's, uh, he's in the room. He's darn cute if you're on video. Yeah, this is, it's, always, it's always a question. Is this the episode that Rascal will finally speak? I know. Yeah. No, we, we don't, we'll hold out for that day. But if you are, of course, listening on audio, um, Rascal's a dog. That's pretty much all we need to know. <laughs> Check out the video. You'll, you'll, see what, you'll see what kind of a dog he is. Anyway, Mary, sorry. Darn cute dog. Um, so this, this episode um, is about... Uh, where I'm from California and actually the background's California. And um, for years, um, prunes had been dropping um, in sales and the prune board was trying to get creative about what can we do to shift this trend? Um, because, and they, it was kind of like they were befuddled because they were like, wait, this is such a healthy product. You know, it actually tastes good if you, if you are interested does have a lot of health benefits beyond too, if you're older and you need some help in that way too. Um, and they finally realized that if they repositioned prunes as dried plums, all of a sudden it opened people's minds in completely different ways. In fact, it opened categories where gourmet, uh, it became a gourmet type of, a, a, you know, it was uh, dried plums on top of your Steak, you know, a special sauce or something. And, um, and then their sales started to go up. So it really the power of changing minds and then the positioning. Um, so I'm curious, Tom, what is what are some of your takes on this? I love this story. But it is, it points out what can be really frustrating about marketing. Because we talk so much in a lot of these podcasts and all the work we do about understanding what customers needs are. And to, to me, you know, this is a story about positioning and what you want to own in customers' minds. And the frustrating part is you could have a really great idea of what your market's needs are and maybe even feel like you're addressing those needs, but the connotation of your product by some maybe past history or what have you is is, is, is not the right thing that exists in the, in the mind of your customer to have them take positive action. So as you said, Mary, there's a lot of great things that prunes do. And if you're a marketer of prunes, you might be looking at all of the long list of health benefits of, of, of prunes. And you might be saying, look at all these things that we're doing. But when you say prunes to a customer, the connotation is that's an old person's, you know, habit. And in many countries, that's unfortunately, it shouldn't be, but in many countries, you know, that's, that's not sexy, that's not cool. And so I think this is the story of an organization that found out what not only customers' needs are, but also did the, the hard work of finding out what existed in 
the minds of people found out and took the cold shower that that really isn't the right connotation and was brave enough to, to, to do something major in <laughs> the whole name of their, their category differently. And obviously it's worked out. It's, it's an amazing um, story and case. Yeah, I think it, it highlights the, uh, the importance of a name, doesn't it? And all that's bound up within that name. Names have meanings. We, we often talk about the emotional and value-driven eff uh, effects of marketing, which can be a tough sell to say some, you know, some engineers who are making the perfect ball bearing or the perfect gearbox or something. But emotion does play a part in everything that we do and the names that we give things. It was, uh, I, I'm, I'm duty bound to quote Shakespeare because I'm English, but he said, you know, uh, um, what is in a name, a rose by any other name would, would smell just as sweet. You know, the, the names shouldn't matter. Of course, what he meant was they really do matter. Um, if it wasn't for clever naming, you know, then, then, then sushi would just be called cold dead fish, right? It loses some of its mystique and appeal with a name like that. And you remind me with the prune story, Mary, that, that we had a, a situation in this country before my time during the, the war years when rationing happened and, and there was a, a shortage of good protein sources. We, we're an island. We got an abundance of fish. So uh, one fish called pilchards is a small fish and could be caught in enormous quantities. But it became to symbolize that austere uh, when needs must sort of protein you know it wasn't an enjoyable food it was a survival sort of thing post-war they realized that the same fish is a delicacy in, in places like italy where it's called a sardine which is the same biological well i stand to be corrected by marine biologists who are watching but i believe it's at least very closely related and they just renamed the fish to be a sardine so same fish caught in the same sea delivered through the same fish mongers but lo and behold, it was no longer a pilchard. It was a sardine with the, the connotations of, uh, of grilling it in a, in a Mediterranean poolside barbecue as opposed to eating it in the dark. Because, and that, to me, always summed up the, the idea of power of a name and how if you want to sometimes reposition, you have to lose that name because the name carries so much weight. Yeah, you know, um, speaking of weight... Um, this is a kind of a boring but interesting at the same time B2B example that if you're processing um, uh, copper, there's a, you have to have an exact amount of weight as you're processing things through. And one company had figured out that um, it, it was in the shape of a bar. And so this engineer started laughing because I called it the power bar. Instead of part number 2632, I called it the power bar. And he says, it was crazy. People would just call and go, hey, you got the power bar? I need 20,000 tons of power bars. Mm -hmm. And they actually paid more for it, maybe just because it was sounded cooler. So by doing nothing more than just changing the name, as you said, Sean, of a commodity, um, they, 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 they were able to charge more and make more money on, on the volume. So that's, uh, I, I like your, your statement. I guess you can also erase what's gone before. You know, if you must keep the product, but it has some, it's tainted by something, whatever that may be, historical context, you can, it's like an erase button to rename something. So I guess we're saying two things here from a, from a, um, a shaping a market. One is, is the, you may have an opportunity to rename something that's an existing product in your portfolio. And, and perhaps more excitingly, you, you may have uh, be delivering a new product or a new service. 
uh, or a new subdivision of your company and you've got that it, it, the challenge and it's 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 as important if not more than naming your children because <laughs> you're gonna stick around or your dog <laughs> it's easy because they never complain they never grow up to sort of say why do you call me name me that biscuit or something do you so no yeah I, th- I think it's a it's it's a it's a it's a, a small part of the marketing um mix but a really really important part because everything attaches to it it becomes a, a, a symbol of what your product stands for in its entirety it's a powerful thing what do you guys think happened i don't have the answer to this we should brainstorm this a little bit um with lobster because the story of lobster the way i understand it is that it was initially considered sort of um um, low-end food and, and something that um, people of lower socioeconomic needs ate. And um, somehow lobster, without changing the name, has been repositioned as a high-end food. Crustacean. <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you guys see any differences there? Maybe is it maybe it's a, a matter of how widespread uh, is the association, the name recognition of a particular food or a product, and maybe if it's not as you know widespread or unknown to a potential target market, maybe you just kind of reposition the product with the same name as a high end as, as something high end. I don't know, but it just seems like it flies a little bit in the, it's a little bit different than the other examples that we've talked about here. Yeah, well, I challenge you, Tom, to answer that question for the next podcast to find out how the lobster went from, uh, uh, I mean, they're not the most attractive looking creatures, are they? You know, you didn't find one of those in the sea and thought, I bet this would be nice with a couple of lemon wedges and a bit of sauce. Um, but I thought you were telling that story so you could re- relive our, the three of us went lobster fishing once. Do you remember? I do. That was a fun day out, wasn't it? Yes, up the coast of Connecticut. Of it all was, places. wasn't it? Yeah, well, we were living at large then, catching lobster. eating. Anyway, so I don't know, but I think it just reinforces the point, Tom, doesn't it? That, that things come in and out of fashion. And an important part of that is the perception. And an important part of perception is that name it again goes back full circle to uh what you call something really matters almost more to some extent than the the performance of that product within bounds it's got to be performing but you know it 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 carries a lot of uh, a ton of weight yeah well um the uh chinese gooseberries probably you you have to always include that if, if we're in this topic and of course chinese gooseberries were were not that appealing until somebody said Kind of tropical. What if we just renamed it um, a kiwi? And uh, we all love our little kiwis now, you know. And it's expensive and it's ugly still. <laughs> Inside is beautiful, but uh, but anyway, yeah, it does really say that. I think we have time for one other um, way of looking at this too, which is um, what a company called Detrol, speaking of prunes, we might as well get into bladder control. (laughs) And um, with bladder control, there was a company called, uh, well, the product was Detrol. It was, it was very effective. Um, And the Pfizer actually bought them eventually, but J&J was coming out with a far superior bladder control product. And um, what was interesting that the Detrol team did was they said, well, wait a minute, if this new product that J&J is coming out with is so good at, at drying out your bladder, 
it maybe has other impact. It's so good, it probably is drying out your mouth, your eyes. And the impact of that, Tom, as you were saying, you know, customer needs or customer impact, um, they may not stay on the product. They are, you know, because they're going to be so dried out. So they took and flipped it. And one of the ways that we're talking about, you know, it's, it's very effective in innovation is flipping it. So they flipped it from, if it's so good at bladder control, it might dry you out. And so people won't stay on it. So the sales team went out, the Detrol team went out to the doctors and they drew a, like a pie chart, if you will, that had three parts to it. And they said, doc, the only way that this product is going to be effective is if it has persistence, tolerance, and effectiveness. That's total effectiveness. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. And uh, when the J&J team came out with their far superior claims and all their slick sales materials, they showed it to the doctors and the doctors drew back that same pie chart and said, yeah, you only have effectiveness. You need persistence and tolerance and you don't have that. And so, you know, expanding on that, the way that you position or describe your value proposition and tell your story has, has a big impact on on the sales and the Detrol team maintained with a with a less superior product maintained their market share for years and poor J&J is like yeah but our product is better and they just couldn't break through the mindset yeah and I think that ties it around because we we spent the, the first part of this podcast talking about the name in isolation how important names are which they are uh, and I mentioned briefly that you know it's almost more important than the performance and the underlying aspects of the product or service but of course both need to be in in sync and when you are repositioning with the name and maybe with that insight they the, the product was already branded and launched and we know there's a lot of um um legislation around how you brand and name pharmaceutical products and how you're allowed to change them but nevertheless if you found that insight before you could almost reposition the the name of the of the product to more reflect some of the aspects of it that 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 talk to its key differentiating um capabilities and whatnot so so they, it, they're not divorced the name and the, and the performance if you like have to be in sync and the more the one reflects the other the better you're going to be yeah there's i think we've unpacked that there's a name and then there's a position associated with that name we've talked about a couple of examples where changing the name is important but sometimes it's changing the connotation um or how you i think that's probably what happened with lobster right they didn't change the name but they changed the, the connotation but i think the, the idea behind the Mary, your example with bladder control, a technique that we talked about in our book is really helpful in this regard. We called it the opposite good. Meaning if you understand what a competitor or a new potential competitor wants to, to, to stand for, is there an opposite position that's still good. Like sometimes we think about if something's good and we take the opposite position, we must be bad. But if you think about things like what's the opposite good of, you know, the largest, you know, Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> what's that? Jumbo shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if somebody's associated with like breath and, and ubiquity and they're everywhere, they also could have, that could also imply that they're slow. So the opposite good of, 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 of being everywhere is fast. You know, it's just a very simple example, but I think that's where opportunities like this total effectiveness came from. You say, well, they, if they're gonna really own this efficacy 
you know, what's the opposite of efficacy? Well, I don't want to be non-efficacy, but that gets you looking and saying, what could happen if this thing is actually so good? It could dry everything else out. Oh, wait a minute. Here's an opportunity. We're about the whole, you know, solution. So there are techniques that I think companies um, can, like the opposite good that companies can explore for positioning. We wrote about them in the, in the book. There's, there's three categories that can lead to unlock this if, the, if, if you feel like you're getting backed into a corner by a competitor or a new entrance positioning. Yes, I think, um, John, <laughs> the was, was, uh, I was reflecting and going wise words from Tom, but the, uh, yes, growing your category, Sean, any, any closing thoughts? No, I think we've covered a, a, a bit of a journey around that uh, to me, the big takeaway from this, that I didn't expect at the start is yeah, a name is important, but a name must reflect somewhat the reality of the product or service and completing that circle is the key that the product or service should also complement and support the name and if you get those two things in sync i think you you get uh greater than the sum of the parts you, you get a, a sort of double whammy so to speak by tying those things together that's my takeaway from this chat yeah yeah and tom positioning is 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 such a key concept when you're talking about you know category creating new categories and unfortunately it's not as easy as or as straightforward as it can can look. Sometimes you think all I got to do is position around the top rated benefit that I want to own, but you do have to, to to figure out what's already in people's minds. Does some other competitor own that position already? And you have to take a bit of care to to examine, you know, different names, different positioning, so that you can um, be effective in the marketplace. Yeah, I guess and my take is, is that, you know, when you're thinking about your product, sometimes you have to reposition the whole category before you can fit yourself properly in. And so, you know, so we always think of positioning products, but actually, you know, positioning the category is, is very powerful. So uh, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast and uh, there's lots more uh, wherever you get your podcasts, of course. And we always love to hear how you're positioning or repositioning um, categories in your products. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you.